My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodmere Baptist Church. Uh, friends in Prairie, Oklahoma, welcome. Good to have you with us tonight. Uh, open your Bibles first to the book of Proverbs. We're going to wrap up the series called Man on a Mission and talk about uh, men and friendships. Men and friends. Several times in my life I've heard uh, just freakish stories of boys usually or men who, who, who die suddenly or killed suddenly, uh, often playing sports. Um, one story I heard in particular was a, uh, a catcher in, in a baseball game. He was uh, at, at home plate, shortstop fired, a, uh, just a, a brutal shot trying to get a runner out at home. Uh, the ball missed the boy's glove and the ball just hit him right in the chest and it killed him. It just killed him like that. It, it's called a commodio cordis, it's, it's a Latin word, and it literally just means a shock to the heart. If, if you hit a person right at the sternum, right at the heart, if you hit them at exactly the, the right or wrong moment there in, in the rhythm of the heartbeat, you'll literally stop the heart. It's, it's, it's a horrible sort of uh, thing to imagine. But one of the things I'd want to suggest to you is that in a man's life, most every single one of us at some point will take that kind of brutal shot to the heart. Uh, it, it might be a divorce, it might be the betrayal of a friend, it, it might be the death of a dream, but one way or the other, a, a lot of men can relate to that, that woundedness. Of course, in our culture, as men, we're always sort of taught to walk it off. Men aren't supposed to whine, men aren't supposed to ask for help, men aren't supposed to show any kind of weakness or emotion, and so therefore, what you end up with is, is, is just this multitude of walking, wounded men. And, and I truly believe that that is often what we end up with. It's unfortunate that they just can't find each other. It's unfortunate that somehow in our brokenness and woundedness, we can't connect and, and help each other. And that's what I want us to talk about tonight. Um, let's start first at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. Just going to walk through several passages tonight and listen for what the Lord will say to us in his word. Proverbs 18, 24. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation. I'm kind of trusting that we'll have other translations in the room um, because uh, like a lot of the Proverbs, this particular verse is really difficult to translate. It's very difficult to translate. And so in those kinds of instances, you'll often find that different translations will say something slightly different. Uh, so here's what the New Living Translation says. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. There are friends, and the New Living Translation puts that in quotation marks. There are friends who destroy each other, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. What does your translation say? Anybody have anything different? It's the first part that's probably going to read differently. What, what, what do you have, Frank? Uh-huh. A man of many companions may come to ruin. Yeah. Again, the first part of New Living Translation says there are friends who destroy each other. So what you have in this very short Hebrew verse is a word that has to do with a man with friends or friends. And then you got this word for ruin or destroy. And it's very difficult to know what the verse is actually trying to say. Somebody have another translation? Honestly, this helps. Yeah, J.C. A man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there is a 
friend that sits closer than a brother. That's for the New King James. Yeah, that's very different. Isn't that interesting? Very different. Again, it comes down to trying to translate these, these, these very specific Hebrew words without any context to know uh, how you should actually read them. So I have anything else different? Yeah, again, it's, it's sort of hard to dig into, but, but honestly, what, what the Hebrew seems to say is a man of friends is broken up. A man of friends is, is broken up, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. One way or the other, it seems like there's, there's some sort of play on that, that word friend, as if in the first part of that verse, we're probably talking about um, associations or, or some sort of friend that is to be distinguished from the kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother. You understand what I'm saying? The verse seems to be comparing two kinds of friend, and that we can gather from the second part, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So it seems one way or the other to be saying that in our lives, in our lives as men, we sort of have gradations of relationship. Uh, we have over at this wonderful extreme, the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But then in our lives, we have a, a lot of associations. We have a lot of other friends, coworkers, neighbors, family members, uh, that sort of thing. But, but the gist of the passage simply seems to be that there is this intensity and intimacy that comes when you find that real friend that sticks closer than a brother. I think most men probably have more just general associations than we do true friends. And I wonder why you think that is. Why do you think it's so hard for men to make that kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother? Yeah, Sean says men don't open up. Uh, to have that kind of intimacy and intensity, you've gotta be quite willing to really open your heart to, a, to another man, and that is something that many of us just, just don't do. Yeah, what else? Why is this so difficult, you think, for men? <laughs> Chris says it's just too much work. Yeah, you're exactly right. Relationships take a lot of work, and, and, and the kind of friend that sticks closer than a brother, uh, that's going to be a relationship in which you must invest a lot of yourself. Yeah. We all kind of chuckled at that, but you understand that that's why so many of us have lives that are so empty and lonely. We will not make room in our lives for friends. We won't make room in, in our hearts. We won't make room in our schedule. And then we wonder why we're lonesome. It's, it's really not a mystery. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Real friend sticks closer than a brother. Do you think it's possible, in the video Matt Bet says that uh, most men would report that their wife is their best friend. And, and I would say most of us in this room uh, would probably say something like that. But it, is that possible or is that enough? Yeah, I'm sorry, Larry. Wow. Most men speak of their best friend in the past tense. In other words, it's, it's a buddy I had in school or a buddy I had back in the day, but not a present uh, relationship. Yeah, that's interesting and uh, horrible at the same time that most of us look back on deeper friendships in the past. Yeah. What about it? Can your wife... Uh, Maybe even your father, your, your brother, your son. Can family members provide for you what, what, what a, a true friend, the kind that sticks closer than a brother? What do you think? 
I would say my wife's my best friend. She's awesome. Is that enough? What if I need to go out on the back porch and see which one of us can spit the farthest? Yeah, should never do that with me. Yeah, yeah, that's why I have Warren. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, it's just, uh, you'd do that with me, wouldn't you, Warren? Yeah, then you'd make me clean it up. We'd have to clean it up. <laughs> uh, there's something about what men can share, something about the way men get each other, and there's something about the way we do kind of compete with each other. Um, it's a very different kind of relationship, and it's beautiful, and, 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 it, and it really brings great strength to our lives. If you had that kind of great relationship with your father, then you're probably better situated in the world to invest and make that kind of friendship with other men. But, but if your relationship with your father was distant or awkward, uh, you will probably have to overcome that kind of distance and awkwardness in order to find out uh, the kind of closeness that you can have with, uh, w- with a brother. Uh, Adrian. Wow. Uh, True story. Andy Griffith before George Lindsay. No, was that Goober? Okay. Uh, The man, the actor who played Goober. Obviously, Andy Griffith and George Lindsay were were co-workers, friends for years. Uh, Adrian says that, Andy Griffith says before George Lindsay died, they had a telephone conversation in which they said, we were both old enough to tell each other that we loved each other. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, but unfortunately as men, we don't always find that kind of friendship and, and, and we don't always talk about it, but a lot of us long for that. We would love to have that kind of friend in our life again. Let's take a look at a case study. Open your Bible now to 1 Samuel chapter 18. Take a look at a very famous friendship in Scripture, but you'll notice here in, uh, as that friendship is introduced in Scripture, there's actually kind of a... Uh, a, a triangle here. There are, there are a number of men, and you'll watch the relationships as they begin to classify. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. This is after um, David has killed Goliath, and now he's brought into the court of King Saul, and he meets Saul's son, Jonathan, and, and this is the way the relationship is described. I want you to pay attention to, to David and Jonathan's relationship, and I want you to pay attention to Saul and David's relationship, and watch how this happens. First Samuel chapter 18, verse one. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So Saul made him a commander over the men of war, an appointment that was welcomed by the people and Saul's officers alike. When the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. They sang and danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals, and and, and this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with ten thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. 
So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Okay, again, you see David come into the lives of these two men, the father of the son, the Saul, who is the king, and Jonathan, who is the prince. He's, he's, he's the son of the king. David comes in, and you can immediately begin to see two different types of friendship or, or relationship uh, begin to form. Now, the first one that's described is the one between Jonathan and David. How is it described in the scripture? They, they love each other. They love each other. Okay, it gets a little awkward when you read it. I, I mean, it, it's, it's a bromance. Not, not really, kind of. Um, there is an immediate bond, a, a male bond between Jonathan and David. For Jonathan loved David. Yeah, it was immediate. Immediate. How does that even happen? Immediate. Chris Willingham said relationships take work, but this is immediate. They just click. They just hit, hit it with each other. Does it always happen this way? Yeah, yeah, in this particular instance, we have to recognize that, that, that the heart that God has put in David and Jonathan and, and the heart that they have for one another truly has a very unique place, to, a, a part to play in what God is doing in their lives and in the kingdom and in the history of God's people. God is doing something here and their paths are not crossing by accident. So, so honestly, it's a, it's, a, it's a God thing here between Jonathan and David. What else? What do you see? What are the signs of their friendship? Yeah, it's the strangest thing. Verse four, right, let's go to three. Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. He loved this man as much as he loved himself. You, you, ever, you, ever, you ever loved another, another man like that? Just as much as you love yourself. And then it goes on. He sealed the pact. What kind of pact is this? I, I remember watching an old episode of Lassie when I was a kid. And, and what was the kid's name? Yeah, he kept falling in the well, Timmy. The, the, Timmy's in the well. And he had a friend. Who was the friend's name? Porky? I, I don't remember. I just remember in one of the episodes, Timmy and Porky became blood brothers. Remember that? And, and they both cut their fingers. Don't do this, uh, kids. Don't do this at home. But Timmy and Porky did. Uh, they cut their fingers and they put their fingers together. What was that a symbol of? Yeah, our blood's going to mix. And after that, we're going to be blood brothers. Yeah, I thought that was so cool. Wow, that's awesome. It was kind of a, a, a pact. It was just a way of, of sealing friendship and saying, you know, I've got your back. I'm, I'm in this with you. We're, we're brothers. We're, we're, we're more than brothers. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. So he sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David. The robe is always the, the sign of sonship. Remember that? When the prodigal son comes home, what does the father say? Give him a robe. Put the robe of sonships. So notice that he, he, he gives David his robe, and he gives him his tunic, and he gives him his sword, his bow, and his belt. What's he doing? Yeah, it, it, it's really strange, and we don't really know exactly what it means, but it's pretty obvious 
that there is nothing, nothing that Jonathan wouldn't give to David, including the kingdom. And the kingdom is, is his father Saul's, and then it's going to be his own. He's the prince. But at this point in his life, he, he seems to recognize the kind of man that David is, and he seems to somehow know what God's plan is. Jonathan's an amazing character in the scripture. But notice how there is nothing he wouldn't give to his friend, not, not a thing. What's mine is yours, even to the point of giving you the kingdom and everything else that's mine as the prince of, of Israel. Isn't that amazing? Now compare that to Saul. Saul brings David in and notice what it says. It, it says that from that day on, Saul kept David with him. Well, they're buddies too. Saul wants to be with David all the time just hanging out, going to movies, playing ball together. Saul just wants him with him all the time. Is that love? Wouldn't let him return home. Stay with me. Yeah. What's that about? Is that friendship? Yeah, Jack says that Saul must know the same thing that Jonathan must know, and that is this man is destined for the throne. Yeah. So what's Saul doing? Is he keeping him close because he loves his company? No, he's keeping his on him. He's going to try to control him. Whatever Saul asked David to do, David did it successfully. So understand, in this relationship, Saul is only really in the relationship insofar as David does what he wants him to do. For Saul, the relationship is more about control, and you'll watch Saul throughout his life eventually turn himself insane because of his desire to control people and his inability to control himself. But he's going to control David, absolutely. So if there are secrets about friendship right here, if we can learn maybe some lessons, negative lessons from Saul and his relationship with David, and positive lessons from Jonathan and David, what are the lessons Let's start with Saul. What kills friendship between men? M manipulation. Yeah. If I'm only uh, friendly to you because you have a really nice lawnmower, or if I'm only friendly to you because you have season tickets to the Titans, you understand? It's manipulation. I I'm keeping you in my life because of what you do for me. Yeah. Saul's like that, and that's poison. Poison in male relationships. What else? Talk about the negative lessons of Saul. Yeah, Jimmy. Trust. Yeah. Saul cannot, will not trust David. And it turns out, as you know, David is utterly trustworthy. Utterly trustworthy. He's faithful to Saul. And later, as you read the story, there are opportunities when Saul's trying to kill David, and David could turn around and kill Saul, and he never will. He will not. David, as it turns out, is going to be one of the most faithful men in Saul's life. But Saul will never trust him. And therefore, Saul will never have a friend. Never a friend. What else? Somebody else was talking with Jimmy. Selfishness. Sean says selfishness. Absolutely. Whereas Jonathan would give you the shirt off his back, the tunic off his back, Saul is going to make sure that David gets nothing from him. Yeah, selfishness. What else? Yeah, jealousy. Yeah, yeah. Do men get jealous? I thought that was more of a woman thing. I thought it was women. The, the housewives of whatever county, Simpson County, man. I mean, they're wild. Those women go after each other. Are men like that? Are men jealous? What do I do when I realize that you're better than me or, or you have more money than, than I do? And, and I, I get jealous. What, what am I likely to do as a man? 
I'm going to try to one-up you, Kathy says. Yeah. What's that mean? Yeah, some, one way or the other, I'm going to try to, to beat you if I can. Now, I'm going to be subtle about this. I'm not going to put it in the paper. Tim Harris is trying to, to, to get one up on William Mayhall. Yeah. No, no, no. I will just find a way to do it. Yeah, because men are cool like that. Yeah. What else, Larry? Larry says the other results of the study you mentioned is that the most important thing to a man is to be the, the number one player on the number one team. Yeah. We can't all be the number one team, not even to mention the number one player. Yeah. Notice it's, it's just a game we, we, we can't win. I think this is why with men we often withdraw from each other. Because you make me feel inferior and I don't want to feel that way. Men tend to run from situations where they feel like a failure. So if you, as, as, as a superior man, are always going to put me down or make me feel put down or make me put myself down, I will just tend to withdraw from you. It's probably one of the big reasons we don't make friends very well. Notice, of course, Jonathan uh, has the secret to two friendship. And, and what is that? You just promote your friend and not yourself. If I make it my aim just to promote you, just to see that you become the man God wants you to be. If I just make it my aim to defend you and take care of you, do you understand what a wonderful, freeing kind of life that is and how that truly is the secret to real friendship? I mean, if I'm your brother, if I'm your buddy, I'm gonna be in this for you. I'm gonna have your back and I'm gonna trust that you'll have my back. But the point is, I would rather see you have the nice car than myself. It would make me feel just as good to see you succeed than to see myself succeed. That's Jonathan. That's Jonathan, and Jonathan seems to be a man who knows how to make and keep true friends. Maybe we can learn from him. Turn over now to 2 Samuel. If y'all will go here with me, let's go here. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 23. If you follow the story, and it's a great story, I encourage you to read through it. Saul and Jonathan both die, and, and David does eventually take the throne. He survives them both. But uh, the beginning of 2 Samuel is when David hears the news that Jonathan, his best friend ever, has died, and Saul, the king, has died. And uh, David, who is a poet, who is a musician, he, he sings a song. He writes a song about this, uh, and it's interesting. Start in verse 23, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 23. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen, stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. Verse 26, verse 26. Oh, how I weep for you, my brother Jonathan, how much I loved you. And your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of, of, of women. Um, th this verse has become quite controversial in, in our day. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that modern readers just don't know how to read that. Your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women. Uh, if you have never heard this, then, then let me 
help you understand how certain people read the Bible. This verse is, is often used these days as a way of, of trying to insinuate that David and Jonathan must have had a homosexual relationship. Your love for me was deep, deeper than the love of women, as if they preferred each other over any kind of female partner. Now, it's, it's not just that a few people have said that. It's something that is, that is often said, and if you pay attention, you, you may even hear that. I, I just want to address that if I can, and I want to talk about it in several ways. First off, I think it's part of the, the poverty of our modern culture. It's part of the poverty of male relationships that, that we can no longer relate to this kind of deep and intense intimacy between two male friends. I, I think it's something that is very broken in our relationships as men and in our culture, where you read this kind of language and immediately you don't know how to interpret that. You assume that it must be a uh, you know, broke back mountain kind of thing, and it's not. It's not. There would be no reason in any place in Scripture to insinuate that, that David and Jonathan had a sexual relationship. Not at all. And yet this verse is just something that people don't really know how to take or interpret at all. And again, I remind you, it's just simply because we're not used to seeing men who just love each other and love each other intensely and, and, and deeply. Um, I think that's tragic, just tragic that we don't see enough of that. But, but let me just say something else. Let, let, let me say something about um, the men in the world, the men in our lives, the men even in this church who struggle with same-sex attraction. Can we talk about that? But because this morning, as I was talking about male stereotypes, it's one of those very difficult parts for certain men that, that they can never measure up, that they always feel different, they always feel outside because of this attraction that they feel for, for other men. Now, I know that typically in church, when we talk about this, our main effort is simply to pronounce that as sin, and y'all have heard me do that, and, and, and I will do that. But, but, but let's also talk about this tonight as, as, as a problem that, that, that certain men have. I, I, I don't know if it's chosen. I, I don't know if, if that orientation is something that men choose or are born with. My hunch is it's probably something that a lot of them are literally born with. I'm not sure that they can choose that. The orientation itself, that attraction. I'm not sure that's something anybody would choose or, or, or could choose. But we have to make a distinction between orientation, but between attraction and behavior. You understand? I am drawn myself to a lot of things that are forbidden in Scripture. And when I, when I indulge those desires, that is sin. Whenever I do that, whenever I am drawn to indulge in something that the Bible says is forbidden, then I cross the line into sin. It's just plain. That's the fundamental spiritual truth of all of our lives as sinners. But, but what I'm saying is I, I have these desires and sometimes I go toward them and sometimes I don't. But what I want you to understand is, is, is being drawn to that, the attraction, the desire for sin that I have and that you have, that desire is not always in itself the sin. And my responsibility as a man of God and as a Christian and as one who wants to imitate Christ, my responsibility is sometimes to, to fight against my own desires so that I don't cross the line into sin. Do you understand? I'm simply saying that when we're talking about homosexuals, I think we have to distinguish between the orientation and the behavior. It's the behavior that is sinful. The orientation may be something that, that a man can't choose. I don't know. 
But all I do know, if that's the case, if you're talking about a man who has this attraction that he didn't necessarily choose and he doesn't feel like he can change, and what does that mean? And what does it mean for men who are Christians? And what does it mean for men in friendships? I would just say this, and I'm not anybody smart. I'm not Dr. Phil or, uh, or anybody at all, but, but, but this is just what, what, what I think. Um, in the same way that certain people read this verse and, and they make it erotic, they make it sexual, and I don't think it's intended to be sexual. I believe that there are men who make relationships erotic or sexual, and those aren't designed to be erotic either. And, and I'm not always sure they can control that, that orientation. I'm not sure they can tr- control the way that happens in their mind, in their heart, but I do believe they can control their actions. I, I do believe that. But, but, but hear me, and, and I just want for a moment to help you to try to understand what that must be like. What it must be like to be in a situation where, honestly, you need friends because you're a man like anybody else is a man, and you need friends, but there's something about you that tends to, to cross the wire, something about you that when you begin to get close to a man, you make that, at least in your head, an erotic relationship, and that's not what it is. That's not what it's supposed to be, and that's not truly what your heart craves, All of us as human beings, all of us as men, what we crave is just intimacy. I really do want to be close to other men. I think we all do. And we want the kind of intensity and devotion that you see between David and Jonathan. But that's not sexual. That's not erotic. But, but if you're one of those men who has that struggle, if, if, if you tend to automatically begin to, to think of it as erotic or be drawn sexually, then just try to understand how isolating that must be. Try to understand what it must be like to live with that orientation and with that struggle because it becomes a wall. It becomes something that separates you from every man in your life. Not only just living with the secret, which, which makes you feel ashamed or which society would reject, but it's just also that inability to bond with other men in the way that would actually nourish and strengthen your soul. You understand? So all I just want to say is if, if, if you're that guy or, or if you have men like that in your life, don't turn your back on them. They're struggling. They struggle like you struggle. It's a different struggle, but they struggle. They struggle with their desires. They struggle with self-control just like you do, sir, just like you do. I want us to continue to have a biblical conviction for the, for the morals that Scripture teaches, the sexual morality that's ingredient to Scripture, but, but always combine that conviction with compassion. We're not talking about the issue of homosexuality tonight. We're talking about real guys, your sons, your brothers, your coworkers, and honestly, men in your community who would probably make pretty good friends to you. If you find out that somebody is gay, you haven't learned the most important thing about them. It's just one part of who they are. You and I have strong convictions about that, but it doesn't give us permission to shut them out of our lives. I really think that probably what these men need more than anything is the healing that comes from healthy male relationships. They need men who are godly and men who are courageous and men who are not afraid just to come alongside them and be buddies. I mean, you understand that's what we all need. And 
think gay men need it more than anybody. I don't know. I think it's hard. But I think as a people of God, we're doing the wrong thing by denying these people love and friendship. Not a reason in the world I can't be a gay man's friend, and I have many friends who are gay, I'll be honest. I love them. I pray for them. David and Jonathan had a very, very deep, deep friendship, and uh, most men crave something like that, although we don't always know how to go about finding it. One more verse, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17. It got really quiet in here through all of that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John was saying that, that David and Jonathan were, were, were military men together, they're soldiers together, and, and he watched your father who served in World War II. Uh, your father who when his war buddies would come back, these men would get together and the bond between them was incredible. And it was a bond forged in, in, in standing up for each other, defending each other's lives, having each other's back uh, in, in a real way. Joe Neal says that's something that those of us who never go to war, we still want. Maybe we need somebody to shoot at us every day of our lives uh, to, to make us stop fighting each other. You understand what I mean? As men, we fight against each other. We compete with each other. Maybe we just need somebody else to shoot at us so we will come and fight together, be together as brothers. Um, that, that's a good insight, a good word. Yeah, Claude. Yeah, we do tend to make sexuality of very prominent in relationships. And now, especially with, uh, with uh, the public way homosexuals are present in our community, often uh, that really does become center stage. Um, but even in that, Claude, uh, while David and Jonathan probably, uh, as I, I agree with you, that would have been forbidden and unthinkable in their day. At the same time, the kind of friendship they shared is something that's nearly unthinkable between men of our day. Uh, we just don't know how to love each other like that, like brothers. Um, one more verse will help us. Proverbs 27, 17. We'll close with this one. This one's always good. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. What does it mean, iron sharpens iron? Why wouldn't it say something like, jello, as jello sharpens iron? Actually, Matt Betts said this week, stupid sharpens stupid. <laughs> and that one, Matt, he was, he was talking to me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 
Iron sharpens iron. What is the message here? What's the point? Yeah, Norm. Yeah, tell us about sharpening knives, Norm. Yeah, two things. Uh, if you're sharpening a knife, you've got to take something that, that, that matches the knife's hardness. And then you rub those together. As those things come together, they sharpen one another. There's a mutual kind of influence. What else? I like that picture of two things that are strong and alike, iron and iron. And I think that's why it's important to, 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 uh, to not just say a friend sharpens a friend, because I think this verse is trying to talk about men, uh, male friendships. The fact that as we're both men, we're, we're alike and we're both strong. And when two men come together like that, it, it's, it's a fantastic recipe for friendship, iron sharpening iron. Yeah, that, that's the plan. Uh, two strong, solid men will come together and each will have something to offer the other. One man's strength is gonna be in the place where the other man is weak. One man will have something uh, to offer, a, a talent, an ability, wisdom, knowledge, experience, and the other man will gain from that. And, and that's how we strengthen each other. It's probably also why so many of us still don't have friends like that. Because for the very simple reason that as men, we tend to measure ourselves against each other. Remember me and Warren out there seeing who could spit the farthest? That's how men are. That's what we do. We measure ourselves against each other, which means when I meet you and when you meet me, we size each other up pretty quickly. Now, we do this very, very privately inside our head, but I size you up. And very, very smoothly, I will begin to identify your strengths and your weaknesses, we do this as men. I don't, I don't think I'm the only one. Maybe I am, and y'all can pay for therapy for me. Um, but I really believe this is just how we are. We size each other up because we measure ourselves against one another. So what that means is very, very quickly, I make judgments about you, about your strengths, about your weaknesses. And chances are, I will find a reason to, to keep myself at some distance from you. And probably those reasons have to do with the places where you make me feel inferior, most men, as I say, will run from any situation where they don't look like the number one player on the number one team. And if in relationship with you, you're going to always make me come in second, I'm more likely to go find some really good, friendly nerd out there that I can feel superior to. Yeah, you understand? So as friendships go, we often eliminate one another before we even know enough to know whether or not we'd make good friends. And basically, if, if you want to take this verse very literally... The kind of man that would make the best friend for me is the one who has a lot to teach me. The man who's better than me in a lot of things. I need to learn to run to friends like that, to men like that. They can make me better because isn't that the point here? The iron's gonna sharpen iron? I should look for the man who's had experiences I've never had and who'll share those with me. I should look for the man who could teach me how to throw a football. If you can, I'll sign up. And you'll never do it. You'll never be able to teach me how. But do you understand? It's just that idea that as men, we can teach each other things. We can come together and sharpen each other. But in order for me to allow you to sharpen me, I've got to be willing to admit the fact that you're better than me in certain things. You know things I don't know, and I've got to be comfortable with that. 
The fact that we won't do that probably explains a lot about our loneliness. And we are so stinking proud and always wanting to look like the big man, the strong man, the man who knows it all and has it all together. And you can continue to live that way, brother. You can continue to act like you don't need a soul in the world. But it'll be no mystery that you continue to live a lonely, lonely life. You'll die with no friends. But that's a choice you've made, sir. There are a lot of men in the world who would make a really good friend to you. You just won't let them get close enough to make you sharper. God, we love you so much. God, truly, you are our father. We want to live as your sons. So help us, Lord, to have your humility. Help us, Lord, to be so willing to confess our sins, our flaws, our weakness before you. Help us, Lord, to recognize that we don't have it all together. We never will have it all together, and, and we don't have to because everything good comes to us by your grace. You give it to us because you are good. So God, help us as men to surrender. Help us, Lord, to stop proving, stop earning. Help us, Lord, just to begin living our lives as your adopted sons. And help us, Lord, day by day to look more and more like our heavenly Father, in whose name we pray. Amen. I love you all. Have a good week.